if you honestly disclose what it is you're going through to somebody you know gives a damn, that is going to prove huge dividends for your recovery and getting out of this spot. People do care. Hey there, my name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives and we almost never talk about it. And when we do talk about it, most of us, including me, we're not very good at it. One of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. As we head into October, we are now on our 22nd episode and we have been heard in 58 countries. So special thanks to everybody who has been involved. All of the attempt survivors who have been bold enough and brave enough to come on the show and speak so openly and candidly. And to all our listeners, please keep supporting us. Listen, tell folks about it, rate it, review it. All of these things really do help. And if you're a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story with us, I'd love to talk. You can reach out at hello at suicidenoted.com. One final word before you listen. We are talking about suicide, so this may not be a good fit for everyone. So please take that into account before you listen. I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. Today I am talking with Gordon. Gordon lives in Georgia. And he is a suicide attempt survivor. Hey, Gordon. Hey, Sean. How are you? Hey, Gordon. How you doing? Doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. Yeah. I'm doing all right. Thanks again for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Here's a question for you. Uh, I, I, you had reached out to me, right? Mm-hmm. And I am wondering, what was it about whether it was me or the podcast or this opportunity to sort of share your stuff around this what was something why a lot of people wouldn't talk about this stuff but you are okay with it on on my side of things it's um uh i I disclose publicly uh my my history of of, uh, suicide attempts and suicidal thinking uh, about two years ago in a a national lacrosse magazine and that put me kind of on this path of writing about uh, and speaking about my my experiences with mental illness, with suicide specifically, um, and, and really attempting more so with student athletes and, and younger individuals, but trying to get them to be a sense that you don't have to get to a crisis point to to find help uh, or find ways to make uh, whatever it is you're going through a little bit more manageable. Um, so my my hope on this is that you know I can you know by sharing my story I can I can spare you know, a, a young man, a young woman, or anybody who hears it, the, uh, the, the, the pain of getting to that serious point um, where, where you could go either direction. I genuinely commend you for taking this difficult stuff and then trying to help others because not everybody does that. I know for me, it's actually a sort of therapy for me to do it. Mm-hmm. It helps me. It's selfish. 
in a way. Yeah, in, in, in that way, yeah, it's it's very much, and I'm 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 very much up in 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 front of that when I'm speaking to say small groups. I'm like, look, folks. I mean, I'm doing this uh, for you or for anybody who wants to hear this, but this is uh, uh, this is my way uh, to process what it is I'm I've gone through, and and in some respects, I'm still going through, and will always go through. For sure. So, can you share with me, however you want to frame it, mm-hmm. uh, the the stuff you dealt with? some of which led to attempts, right? I'm 32 now. I started experiencing uh, uh, depressed thoughts um, when I was about 15 or 16. Um, and by the time that continued to grow, I didn't quite know what was going on. I just, you know, my, 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 you, know you wake up and you're like, why, why am I even here? Why, nobody cares. I don't care. This is, this is all a burden. And that, that slowly grew over time. And I didn't know that I even had a problem to begin with. Um, but when I reached 18, my senior year of high school, um, I had planned that summer, the summer before my senior year, to, to to end my life by suicide by driving my car off of effectively a hundred foot cliff. Um, there there was a uh, a very sh- there was a sharp embankment um, on my way to school that had a short guardrail and a very far drop. Um, so my my plan was at the time I was like I didn't want my family to to deal with the burden of me living number one, but also me having died by suicide. So I wanted to make it look like an accident. And I figured, you know, an 18 year old kid uh, driving around, taking a turn too fast, that would kind of check all the boxes and, you know, it wouldn't quite look like what it really was. That was my, in in the, in the, the, the part of my head that was that distorted, that sounded like a good idea. Mm. Right. Um, but I, I had planned that out the summer before my senior year. And, and really my, my thought was, I was just going to wait for a moment that would tell me that all of my thoughts that I had been experiencing were, were accurate. Um, and, and to give me kind of the, the push to, to, to attempt this. Um, so I, I, I was an athlete. I played lacrosse, um, maybe March or April of this would be 2006, um, I, I got beat on uh, in practice by by who uh, a, a man named Ben now who's who's one of my best friends. Um, he beat me on a dodge that just totally broke my ankles. I, I looked absurd and I was furious with myself, right? Because I didn't mm-hmm. I don't I don't tend to get beat that badly. Um, but uh, in that moment, I was just like, oh, if, if I can't even just you know if I'm getting beat this badly on the lacrosse field where I'm I'm reasonably good, um, that that was the moment for me that I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this. Mm. Um, and so finished up practice, uh, walked down to the parking lot and I just sat on my back bumper, um, for like an hour, just kind of just thousand yard stare, letting the parking lot clear out. Um, and if it weren't for, you know, funnily enough, Ben, um, noticing me in the parking lot, this, uh, you know, one of the few cars still there, he came over to me and he was like, Hey, what, what's going on? And I didn't say a word. Mm. I was just, I was so in my head of just like, you know, I've got this 10 minute drive to where I'm going to do this thing. And I'm just kind of allowing that process to happen. Um, and he kind of realized something was up mm-hmm. and he, he asked me, um, you know, how, how can I help? And I, I, I told him what it was I was thinking. And, uh, and, and he got me through the, the next, you know, couple of hours, uh, distracted me, um, helped, I, we helped a friend move and, uh, convinced me that, uh, he was like, you know, hey, call me when you get home. I did. And he was just like, let's go to the therapist's office tomorrow at the school. And he got me through my first acute suicidal experience um, yeah. at 18 years old uh, when I didn't quite know what the hell was going on. Uh, so that, that was number one. So Ben, just just to clarify, Ben mm-hmm. 
good athlete. Yep. 17, 18 years old. Yep. Helped you not die. Yeah. Yeah. And I, good um, for him and you, <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, because it, I wouldn't, in a weird way, I would not think that he would be like the ideal person to talk you through it, but that just goes to show you don't know. Well, that's, I, I didn't know for a long time. And, and for a while, when I explained the story, uh, mainly to my therapists uh, before I'd gone public with this was, um, he, he was just kind of in tune with like, hey, something's not quite right here and was just being a good friend, a good human being, right? And I can appreciate yeah. that. Um, I learned years after the fact, this was two years ago, um, I'm speaking to my old high school, Pace Academy down in, in Buckhead, Georgia. Um, and, and we had spoken, I spoke to the, to the upper school, um, gave them some tips for, for dealing with stress and, and negative thinking. Um, but then we had a, a luncheon with some of the teachers and, and Ben was there and, and they got to ask me some more specific questions, things that they could recognize, you know, how, you know, you know, some from students behavior, if they were concerned, what they could do. Uh, and Ben disclosed something I never, never knew is that he was part of the peer leadership group at Pace when we were seniors. And like two weeks before our conversation in that parking lot, uh, they had had a, a suicide prevention discussion. They brought somebody in and, ha- and so me thinking for years that he was just, he actually was following best practices for mm-hmm. how to get somebody out of a crisis. Um, right. And so, you know, looking back on that, I'm just like, that shows the effectiveness of the the recommendations that the experts have put through. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So I'm, I'm very much indebted to Ben for, uh, getting me through that, uh, but also for this nameless person who ever did the the suicide prevention uh, for that you know group at uh, of pay seniors back in back in '06. Yeah, yeah. You're 18 years old. Mm-hmm. Ben helps you out. You get through it. But I'm going to imagine, and if I ever am off here, you'll let me know. I don't want to yep. ever put words in your mouth, but you're not like in the clear, and everything <laughs> doesn't sound like it was just rosy and golden moving forward. No, it wasn't. It was. Um, it was kind of. A, a temporary stability, um, you know, that got me through the end of that year. And then I'm, I'm going into, uh, into college. I, I was, uh, uh, recruited to play D three ball at, at a small school called Presbyterian college in South Carolina. And I was excited for going to that. And a couple of my friends were also going there. And so like the, the stuff in my head kind of took a bit of a backseat to like all, you know, it was like, Oh, life is opening up here. You know, I get to be out on my own and do that kind of stuff. And, you know, uh, my research after the fact was, you know, so there are so many, um, um, reported uh, cases of depression and anxiety and also suicide attempts for, for the very first semester of incoming freshmen across the country um, because of how stressful that is. Um, good stress, bad stress, whatever. It's, it's um, dealing with the fact that you're on your own and, and freedom to make some decisions, good, bad, or whatever. Um, that's a lot to process. Um, but I was dealing with, with an undiagnosed mental illness, um, a severe one at that. Uh, and, uh, at some point, maybe that, that fall semester of my freshman year, still 2006, um, I had some kind of breakdown. I called my mom, um, some point that week, uh, and she must've heard something in my voice that was off. Uh, so she, she drove up, uh, that night, uh, and just took me to the, the local emergency room. Mm. Uh, and I met with a, the, the ER, the attending doctor there, and he was just like, Oh, you've got depression. Here's some Paxil. And he gave me my very first antidepressant. Um, and he was like, be a couple weeks, you know, probably, um, and yeah, before you feel anything, but, but give it a go. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll try this. Um, you know, what else do I really have to lose at that point? And so I was on maybe like 10 milligrams or five milligrams of Paxil, whatever the starting dose is mm-hmm. of, of that. And 
I, I distinctly remember after about yeah, two or three weeks, I'm walking across the quad to, to one of my classes or back from one of them. Um, and I, I froze in my tracks because I recognized that I wasn't thinking about anything, mm. which was such a weird experience for me because for, for five years almost at that point, I had, I had exclusively had these negative thoughts and these suicidal thoughts and these thoughts of worthlessness and, and anxiety um, and fear um, that were interspersed throughout all my regular thoughts. So it's like I never had a moment of peace inside my own head since I was 15. And I had this weird moment. I'm like, whoa, this is nice. Like I didn't understand really how to do it. I was just like, this is really I like this. This is a good, yeah. this is a nice moment. Um, and so I'm like a little bit of relief, right? Very. And, um, I'm sitting here, it's like, Ooh, okay, this is, this is really good. And I'm like, it would have been nice to, to kind of continue on that path. Um, but that wasn't, um, the, the choice I made. I did what a lot of, not even so much young kids, but anybody coming on to any type of antidepressant or even antibiotics. Uh, I stopped taking it after a while cause I felt good. Yeah. It's so tricky, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that led me on to several years through my mid twenties, um, uh, which involved suicide attempts and hospitalizations, uh, and going on and off different medications and cocktails of medications, uh, predominantly because either I was upset with side effects or I was upset by the fact that I was on them, right. Yeah. That I couldn't feel good on my own. Um, and so I'd be on, you know, uh, antidepressants for maybe a year, maybe two years, maybe six months. Uh, and then I would just go cold Turkey and, and not tell anybody I was doing it. And, and I'd be good for a little while until all the chemicals got out of my system. And then I would just take a huge, uh, um, turn down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like my depression on top of what is effectively withdrawal, um, from these medications. And then the, the, the shame of, Oh, I had had this problem solved. And now this is my fault. Once again, you know, mm-hmm. trying to, to, to live that down uh, led me into uh, multiple suicide attempts in, in my mid twenties. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I was going to ask. So in, in, when you were a kid after lacrosse practice, mm-hmm. you didn't try, mm-hmm. um, but you ended up trying a few times in your twenties. You're saying you, you went did. with it. Was yep. there something different about those times versus when you were, when you were 17 or 18, something different about them? I think a kind of a, a weariness might be the the best way to come onto that bed. It's, it's, you know, I'm, you know, at, at, at 18 for some part of me, I was just like, I got my whole kind of life in front of me. And, and I also had, you know, so many things that were not unfinished, but like totally unstarted. Like, okay, I can do college or I can, you know, who knows what kind of job I could get or what I could study or, or people I can meet or whatnot. Um, when I started getting into my, my early twenties and I had, I had dropped out of two different colleges. Um, I had been in and out of my parents' place. Um, I couldn't quite find anything that I, that, that really, I enjoyed studying. Um, and I was doing odd jobs and refereeing and coaching. Um, I was just starting to feel that still it's, it's, it's an issue for me even to this day. I think a lot of people deal with it of just like still seeing, seeing where I'm at in life again, compared to where others are in life or where I feel I should be in life. Sure. Um, and, and realizing once again, that, that I'm not where I feel I should be because of the decisions that I've made that started weighing on me heavily. Um, and then I started feeling much more, uh, of a burden to my family and my friends that w- if there was a, a distinct difference between mm-hmm. when I was younger to, to in my twenties, um, that, that would be it. And, and there's a, there's a doctor of psychology named Thomas Joyner. He wrote a book called why people die by suicide. 
And mm. it's part of his theory is that feelings of burden uh, or being a burden to others um, is, a, is a strong predictor of people who, who want to attempt or do make an attempt or are ultimately successful um, at ending their life by suicide, whatever their means. And that, that I, I could attest to when I was reading that and, and that was the biggest thing I'm sitting here. I'm just like, Oh, I'm, you know, either I'm back in my parents' basement or I'm not finishing up school or I can't do a job. I'm not a productive member of society and my family mm-hmm. can't possibly be proud of me, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of it became eventually waking up going with like my, my continued existence is causing the people I care about pain. So the only way to end that is to remove myself from existence. Right. Right. And all of that sort of, with what you're calling or others have called a mental illness. It's also tied in. Uh, What was the actual diagnosis or the diagnosis that felt most accurate for you? Uh, So it's still major depression. Um, I I, I refer to myself as a depressive. I kind of like that term. Um, I've got a, a, you know, I can also say generalized anxiety disorder. I'd say over the the years I've learned to manage my anxiety far better than, than even my depression. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there's, you know, whether that be breath work or meditation or or some other ways of of approaching uh, anxious thoughts, uh, I found that easier for me to redirect as opposed to just uh, my depression up until about last year Mm -hmm. um, where I found some, some new techniques for that. But um, yeah, it's, it's depression is still the the, the primary one. And that's, that's a a familial thing along my, the maternal line of my family. I've, I've got the genetic, uh, I, I, I just pulled those cards out of the genetic lottery and that's, that's what I got and what I have to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't, don't want to like minimize it at all. It's just, no. it's just true, man. You got what you got and we're like just trying to figure it out and get through the day and mm-hmm. feel okay. And then I'll concern myself about being a productive member of society. But before mm-hmm. then I've got like, just get through the damn day. Yeah. I mean, there were, there were weeks where I spent in bed and either I was fearful to get out of bed um, or didn't have the energy to do it. And it's, it's a weird, it's a weird feeling, feeling either a thousand pounds or feeling paralyzed. Um, you know, whichever way my brain was going that morning when I was in the depths of, of all the different things I was thinking of. Um, that's actually where, um, uh, you know, and, and event, and sometimes I still go there. Like I still have bad days. That's fine. Um, that's what it goes. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've, my, my rebound time from those have, have increased over time and, and over, you know, learning new ways to deal with, with things. Um, but it's, yeah. it's more of, I've learning how to come to terms with when these things happen. It's not a comment on the universe, on my value as a human being. It's just, mm-hmm. this is, this is what my brain decided to do that day. And, and I got to roll with it. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the way you shared what it's like it's really hard to describe what it's like to feel that way, that yeah. down. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's challenging because, and I, and I ask people to try because I do think when people hear it in a weird way, they're like, Oh, okay. I'm not alone in feeling this way. Uh-huh. You know, your, your stuff is unique to you. Um, but there might be some commonality. So when you said not getting, not being able, for example, you know, not being able to get out of bed, feeling, what was the word you said? Feeling like a thousand pounds? Was that, yeah. was that what you said? Yeah, like yeah. stuff like that. It's like I, I'm, I'm wondering. There, there's probably people out there who feel that way. Mm-hmm. I don't want to sort of dwell on all that stuff, but I do think that it matters. I think people hear it and maybe they're like, "Okay, I'm not alone." You know? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Hmm. So you're 32. Mm-hmm. You're obviously alive. <laughs> um, yeah. You know? Um, do you still? 
ideate? Uh, yes, um, considerably less now than I did even um, really even nine, ten months ago. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I said this, and, and I've you know one of my because um, I've gotten very good at therapy and discussions with therapists and psychiatrists. Um, mm-hmm. So they're like, give me your history, and I can roll it out. Um, but one of the things I always I always disclose to them because they're like you know from a safety standpoint, they're like, I've tried to hang myself, overdose suicide by handgun. Um, so I've, I've tried these different methods of increasing levels of lethality. Um, and so my treatment team, whoever that may be, always has to take those things seriously. And they're like, so do you still have suicidal thoughts as you just asked them? And my, my go-to answer, the true answer was always, I have a suicidal thought every day. Mm-hmm. And as far as I can tell, I've had that since I was 18, right? So from 18 to 32, that's been the case. Um, it might be something very specific. It might be something very general. It might be just a wish not to live anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was, that was always something that was in my brain that I never felt I had much control of and that I had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had a breakdown this past October after moving back home from Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I went to, uh, Emory, uh, their, their psychiatric, um, facility there is Emory Wesley Woods, uh, and the treatment team there having seen my history of, of the different medications that had worked, hadn't worked like, we'd, we'd really recommend, uh, electroconvulsive therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, number one being in a, uh, my sixth hospitalization at that point, um, over the years, um, and going like, you know, I know my own brain better than a room full of doctors and nurses going, uh, I, I, when they were like, we, we recommend ECT. I, I told them all to F off yeah. like in, in the room. I'm just like, no, <laughs> screw you guys. Um, yeah. and they're like, we, we think this is actually going to be very valuable to you. Um, and I'm like, no, it's like, I know this, I know the ins and outs of this treatment. Um, I know my own brain, nothing really has really worked for me. So screw you guys. And then mm-hmm. two days later, I was like, well, they're going to put me to sleep. So, and I can't sleep right now. So I might as well give it a go. Like they'll, they'll, at the very least, they're going to give me some good drugs and I can enjoy that moment. So wow. yeah. that, wow. that was my, that was my rationale. It'll pass the time. Um, mm-hmm. but it actually wound up being tremendously effective and oh, ECT helped you massively so um and and so i'm I'm very much a convert to that procedure um and and the way in which it was done at emory uh after about 10 or 11 sessions um i could if if suicidal thoughts for the majority of my life had been kind of right in front of my face and i had to actively work to move them away um the ect i could see it treatment after treatment uh, giving distance, pushing those thoughts more to the periphery of my mind. Um, so mm-hmm. now I, I wouldn't say it's like even the frequency of them have have diminished since I got that treatment last November and December. Um, they're further away, they're less intense, and they are much easier for me to dismiss uh, when they do show up. So I'm I'm very much a like mm-hmm. if it's it's got an eighty percent success rate that treatment with people. Right. Um, and I'm, I was fortunate to be in that group of folks where it's, it's pretty damn effective. It's, it's one of those where folks ask me about that. And just like, for, for me personally, what I'm dealing with, I'm like, it, it was like that first moment I had when I first got on antidepressants where it's just like, it's, it got all this stuff out specific to my suicidal tendencies. And it, it's made, um, it's made that something where I don't have to expend so much energy to deal with that on a day-to-day basis. Right. And that was how long ago? That was this past November and December. Yeah. Yeah, and does ECT tend to be something that will be forever? 
Uh, it depends on the individual. Um, the doctor uh, that I was working with, he said um, uh, in particular that I had very robust uh, um, seizures while I was under, um, which mm -hmm. was a good sign that this was going to uh, last for a while. The um, He said in the event that you, it was like, if you and my psychiatrist um, advocated for this as well, he's like, if you get yourself into a seriously deep depression in the future, and I've got Emory's information saved on my phone. They're like, give them a call and we'll, we'll basically juice you up again. Right. And, and mm. typically like one or two, maybe three sessions after the fact, having had 12 or so of them before, um, it gets you back to your baseline much more rapidly than, than the initial set of treatments. So it's like, if I need that in the future, it's, it's available to me, um, as, mm. as what I like to call like the, you know, bringing out the big guns, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, hey, if you need the big guns, you get the big guns, right? Exactly. So knowing I have that in my backyard, pretty much um, yeah. is, is, is helpful to me. But yeah, it's, it's from going from like, a, you know, hey, I don't think this is ever going to work to uh, this, to, to having to be like this, this has been tremendously effective for me. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I advocate for that if folks are, are not feeling great about their current treatment plans or whatnot on medication or whatever else they may be trying. Right, like you said, you're a convert. For uh -huh. totally, I, for understandable reasons, right? I mean, you feel yeah. better. It's really rather Definitely. simple, isn't it? You feel mm -hmm. better and... That seems to be the reason why. Yeah. I mean, I, I can trace it back to that. That, that gave me the space to, uh, to finish a 90-day treatment protocol um, at a place called Skyland Trail in Georgia, um, which, which allowed me to, to uh, rebuild and reinforce the skills I'd picked up over the last 10 or so years and, and develop some new skills, which I'm, I'm continuing to use to this day. Awesome. I have a really hard question. Go for uh, it. Maybe even unfair. <laughs> All right. Here's the question is, if I were to ask you, I'm going to ask you, I'm trying to frame it right. Like, I don't want to simplify it, but can you answer the question, why did you try several times to end your life? The why question, which some people don't like being asked. So I get that. Can, is it something you can boil down to, for example, why um, depression? Uh -huh. Or is it a larger, longer answer? No, it's, it's, uh, I get the thrust of where you're going yeah. with that. And it's, it's two, it's twofold looking at my history. Number one, I have major depression and yeah. that man, that manifests with some pretty severe suicidal thinking. Right. So that's, that's the, 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 the bedrock foundation there. Number two, looking at my, uh, my attempt history, um, where I actually got to the point where I'm standing on the stool with the belt around my neck. Right. Like with, you know, gun in mouth, having taken Medicaid, whatever, right? Like, yeah. not like I'm thinking about it and somebody has time to, to come and, and, and intervene. Um, that was due to cold turkey and my medication, right? Okay. So, so combining the two of those things, there, there was a direct result of, you know, having done that. It was two or three months later that I was in a hole mentally. Um, and the shame of being in there again for my own decisions that added on to the depressed feelings on that, the withdrawal feelings there. And then the, 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 the shame added on to, to it where I'm just like, I can't go, I can't tell my parents again that I'm feeling this way. I can't tell my therapist again that I'm feeling this way. Um, so let us find a way out um, that is under my control here. Um, and mm. that, that, that led me to, uh, those those three severe points in my life. I think it was probably I'd be about twenty two and probably like twenty four or twenty five um, with the other attempts. The fucking shame, man. 
it's not talked about. Um, that that is, it is um, here. It is here. It, well, yeah, yeah, it is here. I mean, it's it's. I don't know if you're familiar with Brene Brown. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. She's oh, one of my favorite speakers and and is 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 an advocate for talking about shame. But it's it's there is a distinct um, corrosive effect with shame oh. and, and the perception of it, um, especially when it's coupled with people that care about and like you're the cause of that or you, you feel mm. that it uh, it adds a whole nother level at least for me of, of weight to what i'm already carrying um mm-hmm. and then on top of that the 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 psychological side of that is that this needs to be hidden away from other people so it's it's not even so much the social stigma of mental illness and depression it's the, it's the the in my mind the the logical effect of experiencing shame is you want to hide that shit Yep. So yeah. it's, it's to, to come, to come out of that on your own, um, is, is tremendously difficult. My problem is that with all modesty, I'm a smart guy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I researched suicide. I looked for the more effective means of doing this, but then I also read people who was just like, Oh, I was caught in the act. I was like, I wasn't going to have that happen to me. So I had a whole right. other degree of lethality that was added onto this where I specifically planned out ways in which I was going to be alone. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's an even worse place to be in when you're, there's, there's no chance of rescue outside of yourself. It's, um, Man. Uh, it's rough. Yeah. The, one of the things that popped into my head when you were saying what you said earlier and just now was like, you weren't impulsive. No, no, I plan, I plan everything out in my life, but, but right. especially, especially this, I was like, if I was my, my, I remember my thought process on that. Cause I can, I can always kind of step back out of my mind and try to, even though it's illogical trying to end my life, I could see all the steps going back to that. And I was like, if I'm going to do this, if this is going to be my last action on this earth, I'm going to do it as right as I possibly could. <laughs> like that was my mentality of that bit. Yeah. Um, and that's, that, that led me into some pretty dangerous um, situations. So I know that your last stay at the hospital, you got the ECT and it's been somewhat helpful or more than somewhat helpful. Yeah. (laughs) I'm always curious uh, about people's care, right? Whether it's in a hospital, different types of facility, outside of the ECT, which is obviously a huge part of all this. Was it helpful, the stays in the hospital? Was it a place not to die? Was it helpful? Was it, what was that like for you? So I think it's important, you know, I've spoken with a lot of um, parents of, of young individuals who are concerned and, and they've been like, hey, what's the hospital like? Should we get our son or daughter, you know, there? I even wrote a whole series on my blog about my different stays in the hospital, my first stay in the hospital, all the weird fears and, and trying to understand what it's like. After six times, I kind of knew the, uh, <laughs> the feeling of it. You're, you um, are now an expert, right? Whether yeah, you want to be or not. I've been six times in three different facilities in two different states. So I've got a, a good feeling for kind of what is, in my mind, effective treatment versus not. And I've, I've had, I, I'd say, a, a fair um, experience of the spectrum of what it can be. Um, Emory was certainly the best facility that I had, I had been in. Um, I think the... Um, you can definitely tell the nurses and the doctors and the, the uh, even the, the janitors who, who will work there, the folks who care about um, people in a mental health crisis or an addiction recovery crisis, psychosis, whatever, who do care about you as an individual person uh, versus just a person with problems. And they got to deal with whatever it is you're dealing with. Um, you can absolutely tell. Yeah. 100%. Even, even when you're in the midst of that, um, you can Absolutely. tell the people who, who give a damn. Yep. Um, 
Yep. And and that was was certainly my experience at Emory, which I was fortunate about. I actually talked about that. Was so you you get to know some of the people on the ward, uh, and we talk because the only thing to talk about is our experiences in the system, right? Yeah. Uh, and we were actually kind of like you know the food's actually not bad, and the people are actually pretty nice. I just wish I could leave, right? As opposed right. to right. you know the, some of the other spots I've I've been in or, or, or individuals I've met. But that's yeah. that's the um, I think the important thing, and I tell it to parents as well. Um, is is the hospital is not a place where you're going to get healed. Mm-hmm. You're going to get stable. Mm-hmm. That's the point of of the psychiatric ward. There is is I you know my shortest stay was three days. My longest stay was two weeks. Um, you you are there to you know whether you're detoxing, um, uh, whether you're you're getting settled from psychosis, whether you're coming down from mania, whether like me you're coming off of a suicide attempt. Um, you are there to get stable. That is the purpose of the hospital. Um, the you know treatments after that um, are, are are widely varied. Again, depending on where you are, what you have access to. Right. Um, you know, those are your partial hospitalizations. Those are your intensive outpatient. Um, those are your you know living in a group home, going to to group therapy, which I've done as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole range of things there. But uh, my key thing when I'm talking to folks about hospitalizations is just like they're there to keep you alive. That's it, right? And, and 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 to give you enough runway mentally to get additional treatment. So I, I, yeah. I you know, I, I try to explain to folks who are just like you're not coming out of the hospital feeling on top of the world. I, I can't imagine anybody ever has. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. It's been my I, I've had two week long hospital stays. Absolute my my experience. Not very pleasant experiences. No, it's and it's, I would change a lot if I could. And I was at good facilities, and I mean, I had my faculties. I wasn't in some space where I didn't know what was going on, and I kept uh, thinking, "This is not really helping me." But you're right, and it's worth noting. It was a place to get a little more stable uh, and figure some stuff out uh, and just chill. Yeah. And, and so for and, that purpose, it worked. It did, it did help. Yeah. And framing it in, in that perspective and, and the things I've tried to explain to folks is just like, you know, just because you've gone to the hospital doesn't mean your life is over. And, this, and it's just right. very odd that that perception for a mental health um, diagnosis or treatment versus, you know, you're going in because you've got acute appendicitis, right? Like it, it, those two things are, 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 you're going to the hospital for a medical emergency when you get down to it. Um, but one has a, has a distinctly unpleasant social connotation. Um, versus the other. Yep. That's, that's a tough barrier to get across to people. And I'm just like, no, they're, they're equivalent. Um, the only difference being is that, yeah, when you get sewn up uh, for your, you know, getting your appendix removed, you can walk out after a couple of days and, and resume your normal life. Um, when you do that for a mental health concern, you've got some additional work that needs to be done uh, to get you wherever it is you may want to be going. Stigma and shame. Yep. No. Stigma and shame. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, it's yeah. How did people in your life, particularly after the attempts, mm-hmm. how did they respond? Family, friends, whomever, in ways that were both for you helpful and not helpful. The only folks that knew about my attempts um, at all were uh, my girlfriend at the time, probably her parents. Um, uh, although I didn't know for sure, and then uh, my mother, father, and my younger sister. Um, okay. Those were those were the only folks uh, until I went public with this, you know, my story. Uh, those are the only folks that knew, um, 
you know, and then when I went public with my story, I had a whole bunch of like old college buddies and teammates being like, oh, that makes a lot of sense for right. what, because for why you just dropped off the earth on a couple of, they were like, oh, okay, that, that had, you know, we were missing some numbers in those equations that, mm. uh, that filled in with, but it was really, it was just my family. And, um, uh, I, I'll give them credit. Um, in the beginning we were collectively stumbling, you know, we're a close knit group, um, you know, we, we ran a family business for years as a youth lacrosse league and, and um, you know, we, we know each other very, very well. You know, the same idiosyncrasies that any other family will have mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. challenges there. But it could have gone two different ways. This could have fractured the family or it could have brought us closer together. And I'm fortunate it's the latter. Um, okay. Not to say that that wasn't an easy process. I mean, my mother and, and my sister as well deal with um, uh, my sister more anxiety, my mother more depression. Mm -hmm. Um, so we could talk on that, that front. Um, you know, my father, uh, as, as, as does not, he's admitted to me, he's like, I've never had a depressed thought in my life. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't even compute in my head. Right. And right. So and, right. And I, where's the common ground? It's right. And, and so I think for my whole family collectively, but my, my father especially was a, more of a learning curve of what's going on inside Gordon's head mm. and the shame piece of it, but also like I didn't have the verbiage that I do today to be able to articulate what it is that I was feeling and experiencing and thinking. Right. Mm -hmm. So we were all stumbling through the dark in the early part. And, you know, that first hospitalization that I had after my, my hanging attempt um, was, uh, you know, certainly stressful for everybody because we didn't know, if there was a right way to approach, you know, Gordon going, you know, is, is it okay to leave him in bed for a whole day because he says he can't get out of bed or, or should we try to get him outside or, uh, you know, he's not eating. What do we do? He's not talking to us. Uh, or suddenly he has a good day and, and wow. we feel it's, it's all, it's, you know, he's going up and then immediately he has another downturn. It was such a rocky experience. Mm -hmm. And then having a couple of years of stability and then again, running into it, we got better as it went along. Um, and we, we became more educated as well about me personally, but also mental illness in general and, and really checking in on, on one another. Um, certainly since the stories come out, uh, and, and I've done my work with mental agility and, and my public speaking work, um, I've, I've increased my, my, my social support network, mm -hmm. um, to include more close friends and, so, so that, that in and of itself, you know, the selfish side of that is, is me continuing to do my writing, my public speaking on that. And is I, I do have folks checking in on me pretty regularly, um, which, which allows me to also kind of step back and be like, you know, Hey, you haven't written in a little while. Is everything okay? And I can be like, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm I got a writer's block whenever, but it's nice to have those, those check-ins yeah. from, from my friends as well. For sure. So why did you go public? Uh, when I was at, at, at Kennesaw State, uh, there was a gentleman, a photographer I got involved with who had this project called Step Inside My Head. Um, mm. It was it was for, I don't think it was for NAMI, it was Active Minds. That was the, the it's a college yep. group. I know um, of them, yep, Active yep. Minds, yep. A advocates for, for mental wellness um, and collegiate populations especially. He was doing a specific thing. He got a grant from, I think it was uh, Ronald Reagan's wife has a mental health um, advocacy foundation. Um, and so he, he got a grant to do stories on it, on, on college kids who, who have experienced mental health challenges. Um, so he interviewed me, but it was, it was a total anonymous, um, thing. Um, but that guy, that was my first experience telling my story to a stranger, um, and in a safe way, cause you know, anonymous and I'm, I'm still sitting over here going just like, you know, am I ever going to get a job if this thing goes public kind of thing? Um, so that, that went out and, and I didn't hear anything really more on, on that end other than like the foundation used it for some of their promotional materials or whatnot. Um, uh, but that was my first experience with that. And then I, 
I moved up to Baltimore when I was 26 um, for work, uh, working at U.S. Lacrosse, uh, and I worked and established myself there as, as uh, uh, you know, a, a, a good employee. I was involved in adult education, making learning modules and, and resources for referees in the men's game, uh, so they could they could get better. Uh, every now and again, I'd write an article for the website or for the magazine on on rules or officiating in general, or, or how to coach more effectively, because uh, I enjoyed writing. Gabriella, one of my coworkers uh, who works on the magazine, uh, the layout of everything, had asked me to put together a, a top 10 rule myths, right? Which as a referee, I'm like, awesome, cool. I can talk about all the stuff that people get wrong. Right. right. Yeah. Um, uh, so I wrote that up and then I'm just like, I had, a, I had a, just a, a thought of an idea of like, I'm going to write 900 words on the myth of suicide. And I wrote up a draft on that with, it was the basics of my story. Uh, and I went to Gabriella and we sat down in the office and I was like, i Look, I don't know if this is something you guys would want to publish, but here you go. And she read this and her jaw drops and she brings our editor in, Matt, um, and he reads this and he's like, holy shit. A couple days and he's just like, I didn't think this is going to be good for this particular um, edition of the magazine. Um, he didn't feel it fit the, uh, uh, he was just like, I think this needs to go deeper than just mm. what you've written. And I'm mm. like, okay. Um, so a year goes by. All right. That was like uh, September of 2017. So a year goes by and every like month or so I'm seeing Matt and, and I'm like, what do you think about, you know, doing that piece that we talked about? And he was just like, I'm still thinking about it. Um, and then I, I, I got into his head again over the summer and we did a, we did a long interview about three hours. We did a full photo shoot and video thing uh, going into that. I gave him the stuff that I had written uh, that had been private at the time uh, going through, you know, memoirs and whatnot. Cause I'm still working on a book and what I learned after the fact, after the article went out is, is uh, he, he wrote a postscript for, from the, uh, you know, letter from the editor. He was like, Gordon came to this for me from a year ago. And I, I, I wanted to give him a year to reconsider putting this out there because it was such an intense thing. It was such a raw, raw thing to, to put out and wanted to make sure he was okay with that. Um, Cause there was a time in my life. I was just like, if my assigner knows that I'm, I've, I've got a history of suicide, is he ever going to put me on a competitive lacrosse game again? Like if I make a mistake, am I just going to go off the rails? <laughs> so, uh, but, but really part of it was just like, I felt safe at us lacrosse. I knew lacrosse magazine would take care of my story in a responsible way. And they, they gave Matt gave me the opportunity to also write in it. So it was, it was a mix of, of, of what I had written, uh, his, his, um, take from the interview that we did. Um, so it was a good mix of what I wanted to be able to put out there. And in particular, it was going out to the lacrosse community, which was my community, right? This is right, sure. so where I felt the safest. Um, and, and when that went out in September, 2018, um, uh, that generated just, I mean, a boatload of, of, uh, press number one, a lot of, uh, thankful emails, number two, and then a boatload of people reaching out to me. And I was just like, this could be something where I can continue, you know, the, the, the fight, so to speak. Um, yeah. and I can continue doing what I'm doing. So that's uh, long-term I hope to make, you know, suicide prevention advocacy and, and mental wellness overall, my, my mental agility, my, my, my full-time job, uh, if yeah. I can turn it into that. Um, but for right now it's, it's a way for me to express, um, that, you know, just because you've attempted suicide or you have these thoughts or whatever your mental health diagnosis or not diagnosis, whatever it is, um, doesn't have to be the, you know, just because you've done this thing, that doesn't mean you have an, an end point in your life. You got, there's, there's more to come. Um, if, if you, if you want to go down that route. Hell yeah, you can make it your job. I've dabbled with that. It's not necessarily a smooth, easy path for most people no. I know that, but man, 
it's a hell of a goal. And I know you've done, I'm going to ask you about the speaking in a second. I'm really nice. curious to know about yep. what that looks like and how people respond when you're speaking to them. But you did bring up something that was uh, on my short list here. Myths. Yeah. So can you remember, you don't necessarily have to remember that article, but yeah, what, is, what are some myths that you're like, nope, you're wrong, not true, bullshit. It's a mix of, of, of things I've experienced personally and then my, my ongoing research. So my, my stick when I'm speaking to athletes um, is I don't care if you have a mental illness or not. Um, we all have thoughts we don't particularly like, right? That, that's just kind of where the brain goes. Um, we, we, we tend toward negativity as a species that's kept us alive from an evolutionary perspective. Um, so we gotta, we have to deal with that. Right. Um, so, you know, I approach my mental illness, my depression in the same way that I used to approach, um, an opponent, right. Whether that's, uh, you know, when I was playing lacrosse or whether I was doing jujitsu, um, I'm going to find the, the different ways in which this illness has weaknesses and exploit them as best I can. Right. That's my idea with mental agility. Um, but the myths on that side of thing is the, the biggest one that I wrote about is that people don't care. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that by disclosing I am having thoughts that frighten me. Right. I have thoughts of not wanting to be here. I have an active plan um, that people will be like, oh, that's not a problem that they're just going to, you know, oh, just just be happy. Right. Kind of thing. Like they're going to brush it off. I'm like, no, if you if you honestly disclose what it is you're going through to somebody, you know, gives a damn. Um, that is going to prove huge dividends for your, your recovery and getting out of this spot. Number one. So, so number one, people do care, right? That's, that's kind of, regardless of what your, your, your brain is telling you or your shame is telling you, that's, that's number one. The second thing, and this comes from my work in, in suicide prevention with, with the American foundation for suicide prevention, being one of their field advocates and, and the research I've done is that asking explicit questions about suicide will lead somebody to, it will give them the idea to commit suicide, right? I still hate doing that, using that phrase, but that's the thought process for, for the majority of people. So the idea of like, hey, are you having thoughts of, of harming yourself or, 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 or ending your life, right? That's going to give somebody idea, the idea to go jump off a bridge or hang themselves or whatever. Not the case. Not it's, the case. I, I draw a straight line between that perspective and the idea that teaching teenagers um, about uh, 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 safe sex is going to right. lead them to have more sex. No, <laughs> it's, it's, they, they, you're not introducing anything that they don't already know about. Exactly. You don't, we live in the age of information. So yeah. while I don't spend a lot of time with people on the sort of method, though I have sometimes people know that stuff. Yeah. So I appreciate you pointing that out. You are not going to give somebody an idea if you ask yeah. them if they're considering it period. And that's where, from my experience, uh, you know, I, I know I'm a good BSer, right? When I need to be, especially when I'm in that space, I don't necessarily want to lie, but I also don't want to tell the entire truth, right? That's part of the illness, mm-hmm. um, part of the dealing with the shame there. So if somebody asked me, it's just like, you know, so, hey, you know, are you feeling down? I'd be like, no, I feel, I, I feel all right. And so it's just like, um, uh, you know, are, are you thinking about, you know, hurting yourself? I can be like, eh, not, 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 not really. I'm just having a down day. But when you specifically ask me, are you thinking mm-hmm. about killing yourself? Mm-hmm. That leaves me no room to evade that question. Um, th- there is, there is a, a yes or a no there. And a non-answer is an answer as well. Um, yeah. so that, that's something where, where I tell folks, I'm just like, if you were that concerned about somebody, you, you need to be explicit with that. And that's what, you know, NAMI, AFSP, 
uh, all these organizations that are there for suicide prevention, that is what they recommend for crisis intervention when you get to that point, if you're that concerned, is ask explicit questions and don't get judgmental, right? That's the ask explicit questions. Don't get judgmental. Um, allow the person to speak, allow them to say whatever it is they need to say. And then like my friend Ben did, you know, years and years ago is, is, is advocate for getting them help. Like, Hey, can I drive you to your therapist? Would you like to go to the hospital? Can I stay with you? Right. Um, that's the biggest thing in suicide prevention that I've found is in that crisis moment, if you can provide space, time, you can tend to get that person distracted enough that their logical faculties can kick in. Their, their fight or flight when they're in that moment is pretty high. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you can give them space, you give them time to, to, to lessen that, that initial stress or that moment of stress and allows them to, okay, I'm not going to, you know, I'm still having these thoughts, but I might not do it right now or this moment. Um, you, you give them time to start processing what it is they're actually thinking. And that, that increases the likelihood that you can, you can get that individual treatment. Yeah, for sure. By the way, your response when you said sometimes you, you're a smart guy, but you BS a little bit about if someone says, how you doing? And you uh-huh. can kind of have wiggle room there. I, when you said that, though, you said it's due to the illness, but I don't really want to push back. But I think it also has to do with a logical response to people stigmatizing and shaming. It's, uh, it's one of those of, you know, the, the, the uh, whether this is an urban myth or, or something that I, I just... You know, picked up over the years is, is the most common lie across the board um, when people are asked, how are you doing is I'm fine, right? It, it's an easy go, go around. That's the, the, you know, hey, how are you doing at the office kind of thing. Um, I've learned, again, this is me kind of uh, observing myself is um, when I'm in a depressed episode, um, when somebody asks me, and I've, I've told my friends this, I've told my family this, if, if they ask me how I'm doing and I reply, I'm all right, that is my code. That is my response for saying, I'm not really doing all right, but I can't actively say that. So just keep on asking that question. Um, I've learned for whatever reason that that's my go-to when I'm depressed, um, that that's my, that's my way of, of, of asking for help without not explicitly asking for it. Yeah. Um, it's my tell, go to, you know, so to yeah. speak on that. end. But yeah, I, I do think you're right on that. It's just the shame behind that. Again, it's cultural and again, it's personal of, you know, we don't want to give people bad news. And, and we, we generally want to present the best of ourselves. And even when we're not feeling the best of ourselves, uh, it's, it's a, that, that is a, a challenge to get across. And one of the reasons why I continue to, to, to share my story, but it's also why for me personally, I've had to build in safe, um, fail safes in my day to day, um, where, you know, if, if, if I give an, an evasive answer to somebody of, are you doing okay, that they have permission to continue to ask me that question. So clearly, you know, you've, you've, all this stuff you've gone through, the ugly stuff, the not so ugly stuff, like you, you have a very heightened sense of awareness now. Like you get you, it's a, it, it seems like you really get you pretty well. Does that make sense? I, I think it's, um, you know, my conversation with other depressives is, is I think anybody really with any kind of mental illness tends to be maybe a bit more introspective than the average individual. I've learned over time to... You know, I, I, I can't go so far as to say my depression has become my friend, um, but I, I have, we're more cordial with each other now in, in my head. Um, and that it's, it's a less adversarial relationship um, that I, I've learned to, to, to manage much more effectively as, as opposed to just a drawn out, you know, knuckle bloody fight. Um, yeah. 
but I, I've had to, this, this, is a, this is a life or death thing for me based on my history. I, I needed to understand where my brain was going mm-hmm. uh, when I'm healthy and when I'm not so healthy. And if I hadn't done that, I, I doubt we would be having this conversation. We probably would not. You're right. There's probably a whole lot of people out there who, for whatever reason, they're not here. Well, there's not probably, we know. I mean, the numbers yep. are high. When you do your speaking uh, about these experiences and uh, the mental agility, mm-hmm. what are the most common questions people ask, whether you're on stage or afterwards? What are some, what's the, some of the comments or questions you get from people? One of the more common ones is, is hey, you know, are, are you still depressed? Are you still dealing with these things? And, and yes, <laughs> it's, uh, uh, for me, it's not a question of, of if I'll have another pro- depressive episode. It's, it's more of a question of when, uh, again, I've, I've, I've had to build in certain fail safes into, into my life with the people that, that I care about and that care about me to be able to mitigate that when I'm in a space where I'm not able to, to manage that myself. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I've, I've had to offload some of my treatment. So one of those things is, is I will forever, as far as I can tell, um, deal with mental illness, my particular brand of it. Mm. Um, that, that, that's a big one there. Uh, and then, you know, I have some other folks as to, you know, one of the other questions there is, is why do you think you, you, you know, why couldn't you step off the stool? Why couldn't you pull the trigger? Like, what was the thing that was stopping you? And I still don't have a clear answer on that one. The closest I'd be able to come to is that my, my, my bent toward perfectionism in my day-to-day life, which is another cause of, of a great deal of anxiety. And I've had to work on that, especially, um, whether that be work or personal life or the hobbies I take, um, I've softened on, on my perfectionism a bit, but that's still kind of where my, my, my mind likes to default to mm-hmm. is, um, I couldn't guarantee that my action to end my life, however I chose to do it, was going to be successful. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I knew logically I, I didn't have 100% stake on that. So I, I, the, the closest I can come to an explanation of that question is that my perfectionism, while leading me in certain ways to you know, attempt suicide, also kept, was the last barrier to keep me from doing it because I, I couldn't be certain that I wasn't going to just radically hurt myself and then my life would be considerably worse going forward. Right. I, I couldn't, I couldn't have that. I had done too much research to see folks who had do it. And I still hate that bit of failed to attempt suicide. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I, I I've written about that. I hate that bit of just like by failing, you continue to stay alive like that. I don't, I don't like, I, yes. I, I say I succeed by living. I don't suck at suicide. <laughs> but language matters. The language matters. Yeah. Also telling of what we think about things. Yeah. So how we use commit and succeed and fail matters. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that you will try again? I'd like to say no. My history doesn't permit me to answer in that fashion. Mm-hmm. So I, I um, you know, it's, it's one of those things of my mind is, is can very much be my own worst enemy. And the only thing that I can do on that is to, um, provide as much of a safety net around myself as I can if I get to that point in the future. I do expect to have future depressive episodes. I certainly hope that I don't get to such a point where I'm, I'm thinking of ending my life again and, and will take steps to make that happen. Yeah. Um, I think I've built up enough safety measures um, and enough you know, uh, 
you know, breakers that, that will show other people, okay, Gordon is not doing well. We need to get him to a different degree of, or a different level of, of therapy or treatment. That was always going to be my future battle. So I, I've had to, to build in those safeguards um, for that eventuality. And if it turns out that, you know, I get to, you know, 85, 90 years old, I, I, I don't. Great. Cool. It's, uh, but those, those safety systems are, are always in place. And that is, that's what I still try to speak about to folks. Uh, there's, there's levels of things you can do individually, and then there's more stuff collectively that can help you um, uh, through whatever it is you may be going through. And if nothing else, those things tend to strengthen the relationships that you care about as well. Um, For sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So I have one more, one more thought and then I'll sort of leave it open because yeah. I never assume I ask, I, well, I know for sure I don't ask all the things I want to ask because I could talk for this, about this stuff for a long time. But with the understanding that, that there's probably people who hear this podcast who are suffering sure. uh, badly, contemplating, ideating, whatever it may look like. And there's probably some other people who are in a position to help, family, friends, or others sort of open-ended of what else would you like to say uh, to, to them, whoever's listening about this stuff, your experiences, suicide, recovery? Sure. Well, I was, I was asked um, when I applied to be a, a field advocate for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, you know, they do a call screening thing and, and the, the young woman on the other line had, had asked me, uh, you know, kind of something similar. You're like, what do you think you've learned through all of this that, that you would like to, you know, be able to, to inform people about. Mm. Um, and I took it a little, uh, I prepared or I'll prepare you on this one. This isn't necessarily a nice bit of feedback for this entire situation, mm. right? I can't tell people honestly that everything's going to be okay. Um, I, I really can't. I would love to be able to, um, knowing my experiences, my history, and having heard from, from dozens, if not hundreds of other people, I, I can't honestly say that. Um, so I won't say it's going to be okay. What I will say is that this doesn't necessarily get better for the individual, for the people that care about that person. It doesn't necessarily get better. However, you can get smarter about this. Hmm. You can learn more about this. You can, there are strategies, there are techniques, there are different tips, there are different therapies. There's so much available that wasn't even known even 50 years ago, certainly not a hundred years ago, that um, can ease the, the pain that can ease the frustration, um, for through treatment that again, you don't necessarily get better in my mind. You just get smarter. That's where I wanted to put. And for me, that puts a greater deal of getting away from wishing this would all go away to finding strategies and being active about getting the treatment that you may need or that, you know, you, for somebody that you may care about. That's, that's kind of my goal is, is giving people agency over, mm -hmm. over this. And that's, that's been my experience. And, and that's what I continue to try to advocate. Yeah, man. Outside of lacrosse, mm -hmm. what brings you joy? <laughs> Not a uh, suicide question. Just no, what no, you like to do. Uh, you know what? I, my sister thinks I'm, I'm weird on this one, but I really love to go out to eat alone with a book. One of my all-time favorite things to do. Yeah. Um, I, I don't mind that at all. I'll sit at the bar or I'll get a corner table and just like I will enjoy my book. I will enjoy a nice meal. That's that's one of my my favorite 
you know, ways of decompressing, uh, cooking, especially that's, that's another one of my go-tos. Um, but, but again, my, my other big thing is, is just writing. That's probably the thing that gives me the biggest joy, whether that's writing about, you know, mental health in general, or just kind of my overall experiences of what's going on in a day. Um, that's, yeah. th- those are the things that, that give me a, a good bit of satisfaction through my days and through my weeks. Cool. Are you reading a, b- a book right now? Uh, a couple. I just finished uh, in praise of slowness, um, which is uh, has been a good read of, of again just kind of taking more time in your day to day and how different uh, countries and, and communities are, are are moving to living a little bit slower. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of them. Um, uh, the other one I got here is the Irreducible Mind. That one is heavy on the the research side of psychiatry and some some curious things on. Uh, on, on kind of where consciousness comes from again, trying to figure out where, where, where exactly are my thoughts coming from right. so digging into that. That's a bit of a heavy read. So I can only do that a, a little bit at a time there. Um, and then uh, I, I always, I, t- I tend to read nonfiction in the morning and, and fiction in the evening. So with, with Dune coming out uh, in, in a couple uh. of months, the, the remake of that I've Dune is my favorite um, uh, book series of all time. So I've been, I've been digging back into, into, into Frank Herbert. So that's, that's been my, my, my evening way to wind down. Nice. Thanks. Gordon, man, I, I really appreciate you not only coming on, but you are an honest guy. Thank you, man. Because you know that. when someone's not being honest. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe I don't. Maybe I'm foolish. Um, and I've been blessed for not only being people coming on here, but it just, it, it, everyone is, they're just honest and they're keeping it real. And I just, I really think the people hear this. Maybe I'm, maybe, maybe I'm wrong here, but I, I do think that this helps, man. I believe so. I mean, there's been enough, um, you know, there, there have been enough myths. There's been enough disinformation. There's been enough outright fears about mental illness in general, suicide, especially um, that the, it, it's nice to be living in a time where the, 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 truth of our stories um is 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 rising to the top of that and and i'm, I'm excited to see where that can go for for people and, and for us as 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 a people for that matter yeah and and i and i think that the, what you shared about your life and your experiences is super valuable but i think the fact that you shared it is just as valuable well, like you're you. showing people you can do this yep. you can talk about it you know, and man, so thank you for doing that and continuing to fight the fight. I always say, man, people I've met in my life who fight the hardest are, are not usually the people who train for the marathons, though they work hard. They're the people who get up every day when it's really fucking hard. Mm-hmm. Excuse my French, but I speak French. Um, that to me is, is astounding. So um, yeah, there's that. There's that. I'm with you there. I appreciate it again, man. I really do. And uh, I hope that you're, when are you taking off to the to school? Uh, just under two weeks. Yeah. Awesome. How long is that program? Uh, 11 weeks. So about, about wow. mid, mid-December, I'll, I'll be, be graduating from that. They don't screw around. You get trained fast. You get trained fast. And then, then hopefully I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get an apprenticeship uh, with a local municipality uh, for, for the new year. And hopefully we'll have a COVID vaccine and shit can go back right? to normal. Hey man, we can hope. We can hope. We're all, that's, you know what? I didn't even ask you about that, but it's okay. I just, I mean, the whole COVID thing is just a whole nother conversation I could have for hours and how it with you there. mental health. And I was just talking to my therapist today. I had an appointment with him earlier and he was like, there's just numbers that they're just starting to get in. Mm-hmm. 
uh, about people who are dealing with addiction and, and mental health issues. And, and it's not surprising that it is up mostly. Yeah. So let us get back to our days. Thanks again. And I, and I will follow up with you very, very soon. Sounds great, Sean. Enjoy All right, chatting Gordon. with you. We'll talk later. Thanks, man. Take care. See you. Bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and special thanks to Gordon over in Georgia. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I'd love to talk. Please email us at hello at suicidenoted.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Suicide Noted. We also have a YouTube channel. If you like video, please check that out. And feel free to leave a comment, ask a question. I'd love to engage our listeners more in this podcast. Until we connect again, stay strong, do the very best you can. I'll talk to you soon.